0: Psych chat. This is Dr. Sherry Jackson and Dr. Beth Lesby,
1: and today we were going to talk about psychiatric and psychological diagnosis, Um, and in particular about the pros and cons of even having a diagnosis. Yeah, some of the negatives that can come from the diagnoses and that type of thing, right.
0: Yeah, so we we are talking about DSM five diagnoses, right, um, right? Which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the fifth edition, uh, the sort of psychiatric diagnosis bible. Yeah,
1: and and I'll mention that we were uh, we both started under DSM three R, but but because it had literally just come out fairly recent to when we started our training, yeah. DSM three was still very much talked about. Yeah, um, and then DSM three R, and then DSM four, and then DSM four. TR and then DSM five is yeah. the current iteration that that we've got going. So, but but so so we've been through some changes of different criteria and different ways of looking at diagnoses, just even in our professional lifetime so right.
0: far. Right, right. And so both having spent lots of time and training, thinking about diagnoses and making a living now. Well, yeah, making diagnoses or or yeah. or having that be a, a significant component of what we do. Absolutely. And so you know. Part of talking about this, I think, acknowledges there's lots of good, but but a really a big part of why I want to talk about it is because of annoyances and concerns yeah. uh, that come up. Yeah, which which I thought, I don't know that this is absolutely true, but I've thought is
1: kind of like the the negative after effect of the increased awareness, you know, because people are more aware of yeah. psychiatric and psychological diagnoses and what they are and what the criteria are. There's more awareness about mental health, and which is all good. There's right? some good.
0: There's definitely But it's almost like
1: because of that, then... It lends itself to then being misused. Right. You know, people using the diagnosis when that's not really what they meant or they misunderstand it. And so they use it in lay terms and a thousand other things like that. Right. So, so it's kind of like, you know, if we weren't as aware, if the public wasn't as aware, well, then it probably wouldn't be misused. Right. So so to me, that's part of our talk is to try and help educate public to understand better you know, what they are and what they're not so that we can diminish some of the issues. Cause I like the awareness. Right. I want
0: to keep that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe we should start by talking about some of the good things, some of the things that yes. make it, thank goodness we have a system yes. that we can use. So what does it may be good to have? <laughs> exactly. Good, to,
1: good to have. Don't want to get rid of it. So, um, so for me, like first is research and clinicians usage, right? Yeah. So like as a clinician, it's, it's a huge amount of information that gets communicated very fast. Yeah. So if I tell you, hey, I'm going to refer a patient to you, they are suffering from X, then you immediately have... Uh, a wealth of information that you know that they're probably experiencing currently right and you've got hypotheses about what their past what their family life is like what their future is going to be I mean you've got a lot of hypotheses to then ask questions about and find out to, to kind of further solidify how you're going to do treatment for this individual
0: yeah it really makes our Super communication fast. efficient oh yeah, yeah. We, we communicate a lot of information really quick and then yeah. we can go into specifics and details and ways they're the same and ways they're different but, right. but we've got kind of a, a set of assumptions that we're going to start from, begin with. Right, so that you're never starting from scratch in that way if you've got
1: some of that information up front. Even if you aren't trust trusting the information, right? Like someone came yeah. from a, with a diagnosis that they got when they were 13 and now they're 23. Right. And it's like, okay, but at least that lets me know, well, back then they must have seen certain symptoms that that's why they gave
0: that. Doesn't mean I agree or disagree. It just means I've got again working hypotheses. Right. You want to explore that. You want to see is it that or is it something else that's similar to that? I mean, it does. Precisely. It gives you lots of things to yeah. to push against. Yeah. And I think research-wise, I mean, we wouldn't be anywhere without that. Yeah. How how could somebody in um, New York communicate with somebody in California and be researching the same uh, exactly,
1: and and have different definitions for what they want to say? Yeah. There it is. Like, yeah. oh, well, I'm doing social anxiety. Well. I'm defining it this way, you're defining it that way, well, then our, our findings aren't going to actually be applicable or generalizable to all populations, right. only to the one of which we defined. Right. So if we can have strict or tighter criteria for our research, it helps us to not only conduct the
0: research, but have faith in its findings. Right. Yeah, and researchers actually probably end up frustrated with us clinicians because they, oh, I yeah. think, do tend to be very clean oh, with yeah. their, it's going to be exactly this.
1: Well, and they're clean even in level of severity. You yeah. know, I mean, the number of research protocols that are like, well, we're going to work on major depressive disorder, but you have to be a certain level of severity. You can't just be mildly depressed we need moderate to severe right and even within that we have we need certain numbers within that right you know because if we're only talking about severe which we've seen right if you've got severe major depressive disorder you have different responses to medication than if you have mild depressive disorder right. like uh, the efficacy of the medication is different for the two different types um, which jumping the gun to make sure everyone knows more effective with very severe depression <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's where you get your, your best medication results so um anyway so yeah yeah it's just like that tight diagnosis i think for research is absolutely necessary because again that's what gives the clinician the hypotheses yeah because we have the research that shows, well, people who have this diagnosis tend to have this experience or that experience. Yeah. And they have a course of the disorder. That's the other
0: piece. Well, yeah. And for, for us clinicians, that's huge, is, is being able to anticipate a certain path and, and be able to anticipate a certain course of treatment. These are the things that we're going to need to do mm-hmm. uh, to help move this person in the right direction. Mm-hmm.
1: And then we can even have our hypothesis. Treatment goes along if it's not moving the direction we want. It's feedback to us that says, mm, rethink your diagnosis or rethink what all you've put into your diagnosis. There's right. there's other or is there an additional
0: one. Or, exactly. Or, yeah.
1: Because in general, people with this diagnosis doing this treatment tend to have this kind of coarse response. And if they're not, it says, oop maybe you've missed something. Yeah. Maybe there's more to this story. Absolutely. So I think that's super helpful. I do think, um, you know, I think we have to at least acknowledge that insurance companies have to have a code. Yeah. They got to have some sure, reason some to justify
0: it to push against. And, you know, it can open doors in terms of when I do testing for schools, if there's a diagnosis, sometimes that helps to communicate to the school's interventions that might be needed. Right. It like justifies uh, certain accommodations.
1: Yeah. Just like for the insurance company, it justifies reimbursing for the services. Right. Um, and in both cases, I think wh- whether it's school or work or, or insurance company or whatever, um, certain diagnoses that might be associated with certain things long-term, they can see, oh, this would benefit everybody if we do deal with it this way. Yeah. Because then we have better outcome longer-term, which is really everyone's theoretical
0: goal. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, lots. Of, lots of uh, good. Lots of good. Lots of good. You're not uh, hating it totally, are you? Not as much as I did. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you're in a unique position because you... I think people really rely on your diagnosis more than me, right? For me, like people just want the anxiety to go away. They they don't necessarily care what it's called, they just want it better. Whereas you're doing so much testing. Yeah. People really get hooked into,
0: we need this diagnosis, right? so you need to make this diagnosis. Well, in some ways, I think the fact that it gets put down on paper, it's it's on paper. It has to, you know, for that snapshot in time, at least that's the hypothesis we're going with. Yeah. Yeah. That's why people come a lot of the time is for a diagnosis or to rule out a diagnosis. Right. Uh, So that's fair enough as well. Um, So, yeah, let's talk about some of the... (laughs) Some of the negatives. Let's talk about some of the things that are a bit problematic. Yeah. So,
1: for me, one of the ones that I see as negative is that kind of on that notion of where we've gained awareness. And so people are more aware of mental health issues. They're more aware of specific diagnoses. And so it's easy to like go online and start doing a
0: checklist. Yeah, you can do a DSM checklist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think that um, part of what is not as appreciated in general is that, well, that's just a checklist of symptoms that could be that diagnosis. You know, like you need those to make that diagnosis, but that's not, it's like necessary but not sufficient. Right.
0: Right. You know, well, and even the phrases. So sometimes you can think, well, I think that fits me, right? but not really have a full understanding that that phrase may have a lot of of meaning and complexity associated with it. That's not just really fit. It it is a checklist, but but that's that's condensed a whole lot of information. Right.
1: And so it's easy to self-diagnose or diagnose our, our loved ones based on those checklists. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it's actually pretty complex. And so there are lots of reasons that you might even have those exact symptoms that may or may not indicate that presence of that diagnosis. Right. So like the, like one that I always joke about is like with OCD is like, okay, someone might say to me, oh, I checked off excessive washing, you know, I'm in the shower for an hour every day. And it's like, well, how I would see that is, well, that could be OCD. Right. But it may not be. There may be other reasons as to why we're doing that. And that's my job. My job is to figure out, okay, are the reasons OCD reasons? Are they like... Because you you, you know, flaked
0: out in the shower,
1: yeah, or you work construction and you're really dirty, <laughs> it's just gonna, you know, and you're hairy, and it's just gonna yeah. take a while to get all right. that out or right.
0: something. Right? So, um, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so no, I think that's a, and that's true for a lot of the things that I'm working with too. That that is, I wish I had a specific example like that because it's so useful. That sometimes the the symptom may. Well, I got one for you. Mm-hmm. Attention stuff. People could come yeah. in and tell oh you gosh, all the time. Yes. Well, a fairly common one is to come in with with noticing that the kids are having uh, problems with attention. And so thinking that it may be ADHD. Now... They most of the time they're here because they want to make sure that that's what it is. Right. Um, but things like anxiety, depression. There's so many other things. Boredom. I, I mean, yeah. We could go list after list of all the things that cause inattention or lack lack of focus. Yeah. Uh, that that are not ADHD. Right. Uh, but could manifest still there. Right. They can manifest in the exact
1: same. It's going to look like they have no executive function skills or look like they have inattention. Sure. But the truth is.
0: There's really a very you know, different underlying picture. Right. And and why that matters is because the intervention may be completely different. Right. Well, like the joke I always say is maybe they have a rash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <so> <laughs> I'm distracted from the pain. They're,
1: they're itching all the time. Yeah. And so in the end they didn't turn in their papers and they're not paying attention and they're not doing stuff. But it's like,
0: really, they had a rash. Yeah.
1: Um, and that really unless you fix the rash because that's the underlying issue.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the, advent of having much more availability of knowledge about it, we would both say in lots of ways is really good. Lots of parents come in and I'm sure lots of your patients as well come in very well informed yeah, and sometimes a bit misinformed. Um, right. And you know, I do think there is a reason that we went to graduate school for a really long time and, and diagnosis was interweaved throughout all of that. It wasn't sort of, Hey, read this book real quick and then you'll be ready to go with diagnosis. No. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, to me, it's kind of like, you know,
1: if we do a, um, like a, a checklist to determine if I have a sinus infection, right? I mean the truth is I didn't go to medical school so when I go to the physician, yeah, I'm really relying on them to assess my symptoms and then be able to say, well, I know it sounds like a sinus infection, but it actually I think it's more this right You know what I mean, and then prescribe the appropriate antibiotic or whatever course of treatment based on what it, really is based on their knowledge and the complexity of how the symptoms can work and right for me personally, how it works. And right. I think mental health issues are the exact same Those Psychiatric right. psychological diagnosis. It's like,
0: well, and lots of reasons to have those. And one of the things that I would say is sometimes a, tr- a problem is that there is really no gatekeeping that I'm aware of on who can make diagnoses. Yeah. It, it seems like pretty much a free for all. And so yeah. one of the things that I would think is we really need to be careful about where we get our diagnosis and how much um, stock we put in, yeah, it how much faith you want to put into it, yeah. based on who was it that was
1: offering up that diagnosis. Right. No, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that I think that's probably one of our big points is that you, these are actually serious things, and you got to be cautious with them. Yeah. And in part. Um, I think you, you've said it this way, that they are sticky. Yes. You know, that they're they're like gum on the bottom of a shoe. Like once someone gets a diagnosis, they're very hard to get rid of. Right. And, and before I let you go on about that, because I think you've got good things oh, to yeah, say about I'm, that. Oh, yeah. I want to rant. Is that I'm going to throw out there the one that really gets me, which is bipolar, mm-hmm. which I think is a very serious um, Diagnosis. It's a very serious disorder. Yeah. It has a very specific course and outline. And and um, and for people who are suffering from that, it's very real and should be taken seriously, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think you know it gets, gets thrown out there so often. It's right. it's been subject to the concept creep issue, where it's like you know, well, you're not fitting in another category, but you kind of look chaotic. You're irritable and up yeah, and down. I think we'll just call that bipolar, and let's just see if some of these meds work. And then it's a, it's kind of a, um, a backward diagnosis. Well, the meds seem to help, and so mm, that must be what it is. Right. When that could be true, just because the meds are helping symptomatic, and you may have had some of that symptoms, but it doesn't mean that you're actually in that category with that... Future. Trajectory. Yes, there's yeah. the word with that trajectory yeah um, that is really well documented yeah Um, but it's like but that doesn't necessarily apply to you and then can take people down what I would consider very much the wrong path of, of really being over medicated in some ways right because really it was about their family life or other aspects of their life that they were chaotic in the first place. Right.
0: So one of the things with stickiness that I notice a lot, mm-hmm. so when, when I'm doing diagnosis, typically I'll have done a neuropsych assessment and um, we're coming down on a decision about a diagnosis. And there are times where it's really kind of borderline-y. And I will say, you know, I'm going to make this provisionally. Let's take a look at it uh, a, a bit of time from now. And what I've noticed is it really tends to get stuck in those situations. I mean, by no malice of anyone's, it just, it tends to be sticky. It's very rare that somebody comes back uh, and says, what I say is, I'd like you to come back three years from now and say, that psychologist was crazy. We don't have that at all. right? And that doesn't happen uh, for the most part. I think that there just is a tendency to say, okay, well, let's rally around that since that's what we're going to call it. Yeah. So, that's interesting that you say that.
1: Like, like, one of the things that that brings up to my mind is that um, another what I would consider negative about our current diagnostic system is that it lends itself, I think, um, I, don't, I don't know quite a way to word this, but it's just too much of the medical model. Right. Right. And I think like when people get a diagnosis of, okay, you have COPD. Well, then you have COPD and you have it. Right. You know, you have diabetes one, you have diabetes one. And that's just the way it is. Right. And you may manage it, but you will always have it. And there are certain psychological disorders that are similar. Right. And yet the reality is the overwhelming number of hours uh, of the psychiatric psychological stuff is like, no, it can really mutate or change. and, And you do have to... Monitor it throughout a lifetime as far as is it an accurate depiction? Right. Is it? Hoping that makes sense.
0: Is it? And I'm doing the air quotes. Is it real? Is it a? Yeah. Does it exist, or do we create its existence? And and I think that's the point that psychiatrist Thomas zaz had had made long ago. Oh yeah. You know, are are we? Yeah. He had lots of questions as a psychiatrist about diagnosis, and and in lots of ways he goes pretty far towards diagnosis. He he had some goofy stuff to say. But he had some really good points about questioning
1: what is it we're doing exactly uh, to the population if we put upon them
0: and say this is how this works when it's it's not really how it works? Right, it's not not in the same way that no. the medical model does. If right, like for most of them, and now there may be some. You know, for some of them, they move over to the medical model. For me, schizophrenia would be an example. That Absolutely, where it's like, whoa, that's that's maybe a uh, in a different. No, I agree. I I would uh, to me it's it's absurd that something like
1: a psychotic disorder like that is not covered by major medical. It's oh, like yeah. that's not a behavioral disorder. That's major medical. That's that's the brain. Right. And honestly, I think OCD in many ways is that way. It's like right that's and really,
0: depending on level of
1: severity. I would exactly, imagine. exactly. Yeah. And so it's like that's and that fits nicely in, and acceptably into medical model. Mm. But like our the personality disorder types of things that doesn't right. fit in the medical model
0: very well. Right, or a very mild anxiety depression, exactly, that's fairly common statistically among certain populations. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. It's problematic at that particular time, but then has likelihood of kind of moving from that level of severity. Well, and the, uh, one of the things that is, I think, a problem with some of that medical model stuff is, for example, teenagers will really get a hold of it and then they get stuck with it. Yeah. So now we've got a fairly mild to moderate that. depression and they're saying, no, this is a lifelong illness yeah. and I read it online and it's, you know, it's there. It's not caused by things in my environment and there's nothing I can do to change it this is yeah. this medical disease that I have? Oh yeah, which is really awful sometimes. Well, it's yeah, and it's not supported. I mean, it's
1: just simply not supported by the literature. It doesn't mean that there the 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 biological aspect of depression isn't supported. I just mean the notion of and therefore there's nothing I can do about it. It just is. Right. But then that's not true, even for the medical stuff. You know, that's well, always that's baffled me because, like, okay, you got diabetes. That doesn't mean you can't control it. Right. I mean, you shouldn't monitor and watch. I mean, obviously diabetes type 2 is that way, but even diabetes type 1, it's like, no, you still have some ability. You can't get rid of it, but you can monitor it and it can be out of control or more in control based on some of the things you're doing. Right. I mean, there might be times where it's like, nope, nothing you could do is going to help that. But then there are other times where it can't. I mean, Right. So don't you think that
0: personal responsibility is key to any of our stuff. So, yes. So, I think that means that it's part of our job to give the responsibility back. Yeah. And so, like, sometimes when I'm giving feedback to a teenager, I'll say, okay, now this doesn't get to be an excuse. This now becomes a responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I give my example. No, I've had that met terribly spelling. before.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were, someone got very, very angry with me yeah. at how dare I... Basically, because 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 the person took it very personally as if I was saying that oh they weren't um, doing what they should be doing when they right. felt like they were doing everything they could, which was so that we're clear nothing right. because they didn't feel so. I think in some ways I was saying I don't think you're I don't think you're taking as much personal responsibility as you should in this right. Um, and so honestly, she probably should have gotten mad at me because she, she was mad at what I said. But what doesn't make what I said not true. Right. Um, but also, it's like with that personal responsibility is kind of like the sense of like, I guess what I want to say is that use of the word illness. Yeah. Like I just don't like the, I just don't like the use of the word illness. Right. It feels, I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me. Like it feels like it speaks of something that's contagious. It it's speaks of something that you're supposed to and cure. Yeah. A little bit helpless. And uh, yeah. and you know what else it speaks to, it says you're either sick or you're well. You know, you're either mentally ill or you're mentally healthy. Right. And I mean, I don't know anyone who's wanting to go on the books and say, I am 100% mentally healthy. You know? Self-actualized. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we're all on a continuum of some sorts. I mean, I do think there are places where mental illness, quote unquote, is uh, a reasonable and appropriate thing to say and to use that terminology and to think in those terms. Right. But I reserve it for really severe Cases right. of what are even now actually truly considered serious mental illness, right? But so many other things, like it's just the word. I just, I think I'd rather say disorder or condition or yeah, something that feels more. Maybe it comes down to that personal responsibility thing. Something that feels more like, and we can do something about that because I do believe that there is something we can do about it. Whereas illness, it's kind of like I don't know, cold. I don't know. You take some medicine to help you get through the symptoms, but otherwise, we're just
0: waiting for your body to fight it and hope it does. Right. Whereas to me, I I don't like that in this context. Well, and I think part of why we react to it is that's how it tends to show up. And in in my practice, when someone says mental illness, that is a bit of a red flag for me. Not always, but often. Oh, we're going to need to start by working on what there are things that you can do. There are things that that can make this better. That's such a good point. You know, like, because I've seen folks that like... And they don't even
1: mean to, like, they're actually just trying to educate other people and say, like, say, for example, I have panic attacks, and to say to their friends, hey, in these situations, I have panic attacks. But the unfortunate reality is then sometimes people use that against them. Yeah, you know, because like, oh, well, then you're weak. Right. Right. Which, which I, I don't know. I guess that just upsets me because like, no, this person's specifically not weak. They're actually suffering with way more than most people suffer with. And yet the world will turn to them and be like, oh, well, you have panic attacks. So you're weak. You can't handle that. And then I think the person sometimes takes that in and actually believes, I don't know that I can handle that. I'm, I'm sensitive and weak. Right. You know, and it's like. That's not at all what I want to present, either for them themselves or for the rest of the world to perceive it that way.
0: Yeah. Well, that ends up a lot of the time leading to sort of the direction. No, you're brave. And so it leads to what we're going to work on in, in therapy. Right. But I know, I'm sure you've seen that with like learning disabilities and stuff. Oh, yeah.
1: Where then you've got to caution the parents and the child, depending upon their age, about... This this is not you. Like you are not this label. Oh yeah. Like if you're dyslexic, it doesn't mean
0: you're dyslexic, and so that's you. For your well, lifetime. dyslexia is a great one because it's actually a, a reading disorder. As it is in the DSM, is a nicest diagnosis to make because it does tend to lead to this very specific hardcore intervention. The, the message to most people who have a reading disorder is, all right, well, let's buckle down because we can we can work on we can this. do something about this. um Versus, And this is a strange distinction, a math disorder. There's actually lots of interesting evidence that um, there's a study that uh, Dweck's group on mindset did looking at middle schoolers and their definition of self beginning uh, middle school in math and the definition of I'm either good at math or I'm not a math person. Predicting. Uh, where that outcome goes because I don't think we have that same kind of intervention with math that says, that, that we do with dyslexia where that science is really pretty uh, that is so interesting and like okay so I've
1: got three kids so two out of my three I mean I distinctly remember working hard to fight against what they had was an absolute belief that I'm not good at math yeah and me really fighting like like Upstream, just fighting against. Look, no, just because you're having a rough year doesn't mean you're not good at math. Really, just trying to, which I don't, I mean, who knows? We'd have to bring them in and ask them what they really felt now. But I think both would say no the unfortunate reality is, I think now they've both moved over to no I, now I think I'm pretty good at math yeah. which, which is just
0: as much kind of false because in some ways I don't know well no to me a lot which of the time is, yes. what that says is I think I can get this figured out I, I've spent yeah. a lot of time saying to kids math is hard yeah. so just because you can't do it doesn't mean that you get to You're know not like a yourself math and say I'm not a math person it's yeah. really like what do I have to oh, do oh my this?
1: gosh that's a whole nother day's topic Yes, yeah, that, that is, is we, so okay back to
0: diagnosis yeah
1: but, but I want to end on that I, that was really because that's so true people really do they They get into a little I'm not that kind of person, yeah, because they really just stop? So, we'll do something maybe on Dweck or something, yeah, in the future, yeah, totally, uh, and, and that mindset stuff because that's so fascinating, yeah.
0: So, okay, go ahead. Well, we were talking some about the realness of diagnosis, and one of the pieces of evidence I like there is something we've talked about with diagnostic trends or sort of Ooh, changes in fads. the way fads in diagnosis <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: yeah 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 so like the one that um i'll to talk about is like a. Like you know, like conversion disorder. Mm. Super popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the Victorian era. Yeah. <laughs> everybody had a conversion disorder. Right. Whereas you don't hear that being diagnosed hardly ever. Right. Whereas panic attacks are like dime a dozen sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not necessarily panic disorder, but person having a panic attack. I mean that's
0: happening who hasn't had a panic attack kind of a feel. Right. Whereas that was not true in Victorian era. Right. Right. And even expression of disorders. Yeah. i I need to be fact checked on this, but I have in my head. That 1920s schizophrenia often had a component of catatonia. Oh and yeah, you just don't hear about catatonic people anymore, even though people clearly still have schizophrenia. And that's so interesting. Uh, and I'd have to do more
1: research on that. But it's like the 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 more. Uh, That the that the disorder is is considered those SMI's. It seems like the tighter the research over how frequent it is in the population, right? So like yeah, so like schizophrenia is one that's been considered one percent of the population, right? Back then. And yep. now. Right. Like it's still it's pretty much stayed. Yes. O C D is the same way. It has stayed. It's still pretty much two to three percent of the population, no matter who you are, what you are, what country you're from, right? Yeah. Right. Whereas there are others, like let's just say, um, something like I don't know. I don't have a great example like dysthymia, right? Where it's like, I don't know what the prevalence rates are, but my guess is those have kind of gone up and down depending upon the faddishness of diagnosing that disorder, right? Like, I don't know, like, I don't hear as much about, um, double depression, Right, but boy, there was a time in the '90s, right, that everybody was coming out with double depression, yeah, kind of thing, and and bipolar. I would say is the the difference. Like bipolar, I think of as SMI, but are you SMI? uh, Serious mental illness. Thank you, thank you. Um, But I think that that's one that has creeped, and now it's starting. It's become diffuse, yeah. and so now bipolar is being diagnosed just all over the board, and and bipolar two, and we got bipolar one, and then we have this, and, yeah, yeah. Know. And
0: creep is another one that we, you know, sort of the idea that there's something that's this ish. Yeah. Well, that's you're sad, and yeah. that's depressed ish. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Which, uh, which we don't even have time to go into, but but to this point is that notion of. There are a lot of people that don't fit neatly into our current DSM. Yeah. And so they fall through the cracks. And as good clinicians, we want to get them as close to whatever we think because it is our driving force. Right. For our treatment recommendations. And so we try to get them as close and we do that, the negative is, and then that muddies or taints or, uh, you know, waters down. There's a better word. Waters down the diagnosis if we throw them in there. Right. With When they don't really meet full criteria for that. Right. They're ish. Right. But there are a lot of people that are ish. Yeah. You know? And, and I would just think the field of learning differences right. has a ton of ish. Right. That like, well... It most fits ADD, so we're going to throw them here. Right. Like, I've seen kids that really didn't have attention deficit on their testing stuff, but they had processing speed issues or working memory stuff, but they didn't foot the full... Right. Profile Right. Or like set of criteria. Right. But yet they have executive function problems and probably are best assumed as this. And that's where. Right. And so we put them that because that's where we can get them the help they need. Yeah. Right. But then that sets them up with a lifetime of, oh, well, someone
0: diagnosed me with ADD. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. I think that's, you know, and then there's the potential self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I can't do that because uh, I have this. Mm hmm. And therefore, I change my life course. Yeah. Because I don't think I'll be good at that. Yeah.
1: Or I don't think I can overcome this. Yeah. Yeah. So I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for Psych Chat. Anything else you want
0: to say to wrap up? No, just that I like talking about diagnosis. We should do it again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We should. It's fascinating. I'm totally with you. So thank you so much for joining us. And we hope you join us for our next ones.